Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. So if you've been with us at City, you know that we are spending an entire year in the kingdom of God. Now, as part of that, the most recent sermons have been kind of under the heading of God's empowering presence. What I want to preach on this morning and teach on this morning is just kind of a biblical reality of God's empowering presence every day, every day. Now, my goal at City Church for this sermon is very clear. And it's to help us be a group of people who follow Jesus well, that we do it well. And if I was to clearly state the sermon purpose, it would be this, for all of us to clearly see that the work of the Holy Spirit is central to all that God does in the world and in the lives of his people. Now, one of the reasons why I'm preaching on this is because I know that some of us maybe in our history of walking with Jesus and maybe your church history, you've been involved with churches that don't say much, if anything, about the Holy Spirit. And what I wanted to emphasize this morning in this sermon is just a basic biblical reality of the importance of you and I knowing that God moves and works in this world through his spirit. That's how this thing works. Now, what I know from my own spiritual history and my own walk with Jesus is if we are not open to or have an understanding of or be receptive to the things of the Spirit, what ends up happening is the Christian life can tend to become a list of rules or the emphasis becomes the disciplines of our lives. Nothing wrong with those things per se. But what's extremely important is that we understand the work of the Spirit as shown in the Scriptures so that in following Jesus, we do it with the Spirit at the center along with Scripture. Now, what I wanted to do is kind of begin with my own spiritual journey. Two weeks ago, I referenced how my family was unchurched. We went from never going to church to where we ended up going to this Pentecostal storefront church. What I remember as a preteen boy was going to that church and sensing something in that group of people that I had never sensed before. I sensed something. It wasn't long through discipleship that I learned that what I was sensing was the presence of God. It's what the scriptures call the Holy Spirit. I remember with great fondness a, a lady that attended City. She was an intellectual. Her husband was a philosopher. He also did IT because you can't make money being a philosopher. But a uh, real great guy, great couple. And I just remember they came to City. They were completely unchurched. Someone had invited them. And they started coming uh, as a build-up to Easter, their neighbor had invited them to come to city because Easter was coming, and we had kind of a, we do this every year, cards you can hand out to your friends, and they came about two weeks before Easter. Well, Easter Sunday, everything happens with the service and all that kind of stuff, and when you pastor or preach, I will tell you, you can see everything from the front. Literally, I can see the eyeballs of the people in the back 
And one of the things that I noticed was is that sometime during the service or during the sermon, she would put her head down. She would just kind of bow her head, and when she looked up, I don't know how to say this politely, but mascara was just running. So on Easter, this happened every week, and on Easter, like that, but on Easter itself, she got up and left early, just before the service was over, and I have a habit of cutting out the side door and trying to get out front to catch people, and I got out there, and she walked right up to me, and she said, you and I need to talk. That's never good when you're a pastor. That's not a, that's not a good launch into a conversation. And she said, we need to talk. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, every time I come here, I feel something, and I began to weep. But she said, it's not a sad weep. It's a happy weep. And I said, has anyone ever talked to you about the Holy Spirit? And she said, no, I know nothing. What was amazing is to see women disciple her in the understanding of God's presence. She had encountered it, had no clue what it was, but it made her happy weep. And what I believe is that her experience is not uncommon. In fact, it's more common than we care to admit. Some of us experience the Holy Spirit through deep conviction. I've watched people at our church here at City and through 30-something years of pastoral ministry where someone comes into God's presence and feels the conviction of something that they're doing in their life. But the cool thing about the conviction of the Spirit, the Spirit convicts you and then empowers you to change. This doesn't convict you and leave you there. There's power to be transformed and to change. So what I wanted to do is to walk us quickly through Scripture. I want us to understand biblically the importance of the Holy Spirit. By the way, one of the first things I learned about the Holy Spirit in my formal training for ministry was through this theologian. His name was Dr. Palma. He was a New Testament Greek scholar. Everyone didn't want to take his class because he was one of the guys that graded very difficultly. But what he said at the beginning of his class on the Holy Spirit, which was two semesters long, was that if you ever call the Holy Spirit an it, you fail. He would just start out that way. He said, if you write a paper or verbally say the Holy Spirit is an it, you fail. The Holy Spirit is a person. I never forgot that. The Holy Spirit is a person. One guy, a friend of mine, named the Holy Spirit it in a paper. I have never seen a faculty person do what this guy did. We're not gonna explain it, just wasn't a pretty scene. My friend failed that paper. I've never forgot that either. What I wanted to say is the Spirit of God is a person. That's how scripture presents God's presence, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were to look at the very beginning of the Bible on the first page, first two verses, here's what you'd read. Genesis 1, 1 through 2. The beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the title. Now, here's how it works. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's how the Bible starts. The Bible begins with formless, empty, darkness, what theologians call chaos, purposelessness. 
And then the Spirit of God starts to hover, and the trajectory of creation takes off like a rocket. What's the added ingredient that turned darkness, purposelessness, formless, and chaos into something that humankind could inhabit? The Spirit. That's how the Bible begins. How you begin is how you end. But here's how I want to present that to us uh, personally. You might be sitting here, and when you hear those descriptive words, darkness, formless, empty, void, that might be you. The creation narrative is about creating stuff. But if you read it accurately, it's actually God bringing order out of chaos. That's really what it is. What an awesome message that is for me and for you. If you are sitting here and you are empty and you lack purpose and there's a void and there's darkness in your life, you're in the right place because the spirit that could do that for all of creation can do that for you, can do that for you. And so that's how the Bible begins. Then if we take quick movement to the Newer Testament, we discover very quickly that that's also how Jesus begins in his incarnation. Luke 1, 34 through 35. The angel had come to Mary and said, you will conceive, and her question was a biological one. How will I conceive if I am a virgin? Here's the text. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. What's the ingredient, the agent of change again at the beginning of Jesus' reality? What do you see? The Holy Spirit, same Spirit. And by the way, Greek scholars and theologians will tell you the hovering of the Spirit in the creation narrative is the exact same reality as the idea of the Spirit overshadowing Mary. It's the exact same Greek reality. It's the exact same theological reality. So in Jesus' reality, in the creation reality, the Holy Spirit's hovering or overshadowing, it's identical. It's identical. So creation through the Spirit Jesus through the Spirit. And then what we discover is, is that as you follow Jesus in the Gospels, you find out very quickly, even as fully God and fully man, the Spirit was leading him. It's clear in all of the Gospels. The text says Jesus was led into the Spirit, full of the Spirit, to be tempted by the adversary. In John chapter 12, verse 49, here's what Jesus says about himself. For I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have said. And then later in the Gospel of John, we find out how that actually worked. John 16, 13, here's what Jesus says. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. That's powerful. 
So Jesus lets us know in John 12 that he only said what the Father commanded him to say, and then we find out how that works. It worked because of the working of the Spirit between the Father and the Son, and John 16, 13 says, it'll be the same for you. It's gonna be just the same for you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will not speak on his own, he will speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. The reality of it is this, you grow spiritually because of the work of the Spirit in your life. Are there spiritual disciplines? Absolutely. Do we study scripture? I do that constantly. But what we need to be keenly aware of, it's the working of the Spirit in us that actually transforms us and brings us into what Jesus calls us to be. I remember a time in my life where God led me, and it was, and I should say the Spirit led me, and it's kind of one of those rear view mirror things. There was a period of time in my life that was really, really difficult. My wife and I had been dating for two years. We um, got engaged, and five weeks before our wedding, we called off the wedding. We called it off. All the gifts had been purchased. Everything had been rented and we called off our wedding. And after that, I really was in a struggle. It was just a deep struggle. How many of you know transitions are tough times? We need God in the midst of transition. So here I am struggling very, very deeply, and I really wasn't doing well, and I had a friend of mine who was a Jesus follower, and he said to me, he said, hey look, he said, you, you don't look like you're doing well. I said, I'm really not. And he said, I want you to come up with me. He said, we own a cabin in Maine. And I went up to Maine and I literally spent a week in the bottom of a canoe. This is a little more than you wanna know. But I cried, I prayed. But what I did do was make space for God. And the Spirit does speak to us and the Spirit does lead us, but there needs to be space for that the cacophony of technology and life's pressure and all of that. The text is clear. Jesus, before he made big decisions, it said he went to the mountaintop and he prayed. He went to the desert and he prayed. He made space for the spirit to lead him and to speak to him. I spent a week in the bottom of a canoe. Then I came back home. And uh, when I came back home, my roommate from grad school called me up. His name was Larry. He said, I'm gonna come visit you. You're not doing well. Said, okay, so he came to visit. While he was there, the church that I was going to get married in was the home church, and I didn't wanna face those people because all of them knew that the wedding was no longer gonna happen. I just didn't wanna face them yet. I wasn't in a good space. So Larry looked at me and he said, you know what, Pete, he said, I think that uh, we shouldn't worship at your home church this morning. He said, I feel like God spoke that. The Spirit's leading me just to tell you that. And he didn't know this, but I was like, thank God, right? I don't wanna face these people. And he said, but there's a church across town and I think we're supposed to go worship there. Well, I was a mess and all right, cool, let's just go there. So we go there and I'm sitting in the back and I'm telling you, it was Everything was heavy. I, I, it was just not a good place. I, I knew that I was supposed to marry Fran. I was just not, uh, man, I was confused. I was hurting. Nothing seemed to be going right. I'm sitting in the back of the church. And that morning, I met the guy that hired me to become a chaplain at Princeton. How strange is the leading of the Spirit? 
in the midst of all of that chaos and formlessness and purposelessness and all of that, God was working because I had a friend who sensed the leading of the Spirit and said, I think we shouldn't go there, we need to go here. How many times is it in my own life where a name will just come through my mind and I'll call that person up or shoot them a text or I'll feel a check about something or, and if you're married, you know about this, I'll go to say something and the spirit will go, I wouldn't say that. I would keep that to yourself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The idea here is, is that the spirit is intimately involved in our lives. And Jesus said, When the Spirit comes, he'll guide you. He will guide you. Now, when we think about the Christian life in general, oh, by the way, let me finish the story because I know type A people, if they don't know the end, they can't go any further in a sermon. So after going and spending that week and I went to this other church and I met the guy that ended up hiring me and all of that stuff, I wish I could tell you that I called Fran. But she called me, said, I'm not doing well. How are you? I said, oh, I'm not doing well either. By the way, she's the one that first confessed that she liked me. I wouldn't have had the guts to do that to save my life. We were playing basketball, we were walking, she got off the curb, got in front of me, and she said, you know, I think I'm starting to like you, and if you don't feel the same, you need to tell me, because I can't keep spending time with you. And I went, hmm, and inside I was going, yes, yes. I'd have never had the guts to do that. She was the one that ended up calling. We ended up back together two years of dating and got married, so it ended well. But the point that I was trying to make is, is I think that the leading of the Spirit happens as people give space for God to speak to us and to lead and to guide and direct our lives. But here's what the Apostle Paul says about the work of the Spirit in our lives. How does it happen? How does it start? Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14. I want you to listen carefully to what Paul says. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Now, do you remember the last text? There's a spirit that will lead you to truth. He'll lead you there. Reading on, it says, when you heard the spirit of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. We're gonna come back to that. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So what Paul writes is, the moment you say yes to Jesus and you put your faith, hope, and trust in him, there's a deposit in you of the Holy Spirit that guarantees what is to come. It guarantees it. It's literally a deposit. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But not only this, when we say yes to Jesus, the Spirit fills us, but that's not the end of it. Paul writes later in the book of Ephesians, chapter five, verses 15 through 19. Here's what he says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Isn't it funny that 2,000 years ago, people thought that the days were evil? How many of you think that might be the case today? It says, but the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be what? Filled 
filled with the Spirit. Here's what the Bible knows. You cannot do life alone. You need something to help you. So some here, apparently in Paul's theology, turned to wine. They turned to something that would help them face life. I think you could open up that phrase and pull out wine and you could put any number of things there. It could be success at work. It could be climbing the corporate ladder. It could be getting the bank account big enough. It could be becoming an athlete that everyone cheers for. It could be getting the perfect GPA. It could be buying the right home in the right neighborhood. You can just go on and on and on. What the Bible knows is you will look to something to help you through life. And Paul says, let that be the spirit. Let that be the spirit. Those other things will take you sideways. The spirit will bring you life. Again, if the spirit could take the chaos of the disorganized world and bring it to a functioning reality where humankind could live and thrive, the spirit can do that for you. He can do that for you. But notice what the text says. It says in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. What you can't tell, in the original Greek, that word for filled is what's called the present imperative tense. What that means in that verb tense, which we don't have in English, is it means that there's a continuous replenishment needed. In other words, it is first time initial when you say yes to Jesus, the spirit dwells in you, but it's clear in the text that there is a replenishment that is needed. There's that sense where you and I, as we follow Jesus, where we are intentionally open to the spirit so that the spirit would fill us. Then Paul goes on to write, not only does the spirit fill us, and replenish us, but in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, this is one of my favorite Holy Spirit passages in all of scripture. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It's a guarantee. But I want us to get this sense of things, that God is the one that makes us stand firm in Jesus through the Spirit. Are there spiritual disciplines? Absolutely. Is there a part that we play? Absolutely. But we must be open to the Spirit because the Spirit's the one that empowers us to stand firm. That phrase, set his seal of ownership on us, is a fascinating idea in the Greek. It means to seal. That word, to set his seal of ownership, signifies ownership and the full security by the backing, the full authority of the owner. Sealing in the ancient world served as a legal signature with the guaranteed promise of what was sealed. By the way, the same Greek word owns up at the end of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus has been dead, crucified, and placed in the tomb. Some of the Jewish leadership came to Pilate and said, listen, they're gonna come and take his body and say he was resurrected. And so what Pilate says in Matthew 27, 65 through 66, 
Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Literally what they did was they took a wax glob with Pilate's seal and they put it on the front of that stone and they slammed Pilate's emblem into it. And what that meant was if you mess with this stone, you mess with all of Rome. The text says, same exact Greek word. The moment you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit puts its seal on you. You are owned by God. God owns you. He stands behind you. He is with you. And notice what the text says, that God has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Feet to your faith. The goal here is to clearly understand that Jesus and the first century church show us and teach us how the Christian life is based upon the personal work of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. This is something that is normal for the Christian life. An openness to the things of the Spirit an openness to God speaking to us and guiding us and directing us. My prayer for all of us is, is that we would sense the working of the Spirit, not just during worship, but when you're on the job, when you're teaching, when you're in your marriage, when you're a young child and you're moving through life, that you would sense the presence of God because the text teaches us that it's the Spirit of God that does the work in us and through us. As we close out this message, I'm gonna ask that you would stand with me. And as we stand together, we're going to go back to the Jesus prayer that we began this little small sermon series about God's empowering presence. We began with this knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Luke 11:13. 13. Jesus said, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What a prayer request. Jesus, of all the things he could have said, here's what you need to ask my Father for, right on the heels of his in-depth teaching on prayer. What Jesus said we're to ask for is for the Spirit. And so as we conclude our time, I'm gonna ask that you would close your eyes in God's presence. I have no idea where you're at with Jesus. Maybe this morning for the first time in your life, whether you're worshiping with us online or you're here in this sanctuary. But it would be this morning that you would say yes to Jesus. What Paul taught us clearly in Ephesians is the moment you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that created all that there is and brought order out of chaos is the same Spirit that God places in your heart, in the center of your life. Paul went on to teach us that that's not just a one-time thing. Salvation is, the indwelling of the Spirit is, but we need to be, be being filled. That there's these moments where we make space for the Spirit just like Jesus did. And we open up our hearts to the working of the person of the Spirit. That's what I want us to do now.
If Jesus said we are to ask the Father for the Spirit, I think it's one of the safest prayer requests we could ever ask of God the Father, that he would fill us with the Spirit. And so if you're open to doing this, I encourage you to pray a prayer with me. If you're not at that point yet, that's fine. But if you know that the Christian life is something you're called into in a spiritual sense, it's not just intellectual or theological, it goes beyond that. It takes the scripture and the spirit that inspired it and the spirit builds that into our lives. But if you sense that you need that spirit working more deeply in your life, I want you to pray with me as we open up our hearts. Jesus, you've taught us to pray this prayer and that is to ask your father for the spirit. So I pray over my own life that your spirit would fill me, that your spirit would lead and guide me to truth, that your spirit would speak of the things to come, make scripture come alive to me. God, I pray that you would speak to me and I would hear your voice through the working of the spirit. And I would sense that your kingdom is expanding in my life and through my life. Lord, I believe for this. And I pray for this. Lord, I pray the same blessing over all of our lives for every woman and man that's here. Let your spirit work in us. In Jesus' name, in Christ's name, amen.